sad for these amazing people. I ask that today you would cause us to think more like you. Dad, today is I share, I'm asking that this wouldn't be my opinion, but it would have the authority of Scripture, it would have the authority and anointing of your Holy Spirit and your angels to make this a life change for every one of us. Father, these people have taken the time to come to church. They could have gone somewhere else. Would you reward them from doing that? And would you cause them to go away better than what they came? And that's a good prayer for you to say amen to. Amen. We've been doing a series on thriving. And uh, if you haven't been here, that's what we've been doing. And get the podcasts. Last week, Pastor Roger was here just sharing on how to thrive from a business perspective financially. So we've set aside two Sundays, and I, I don't know if any of you know what I'm going to be sharing on today. Some of you maybe didn't get to see uh, the Facebook posts. I don't know. So do anyone want to guess what we're talking about today? You know that when I put a topic, I always have to do alliteration. It's just become something. I only get paid if I do alliteration. Apparently, so, so I, I um, am going to present my topic with some amazing alliteration. Come on, you all know this song. See how many M's I got out of that topic, eh? Lots of M and M's right there. Yeah, you guessed it. Today we're going to talk about how to thrive financially. Yes. Everyone's hiding their wallets quickly like we're going to take another offering. Don't you worry. I, I, some of you came from churches like that, but we want to... I'm going to share today, is also known as the Sermon on the Amount... But uh, when you saw those M's, I know some of you, oh, I want my money back. That wasn't real alliteration. So uh, let's give you something proper. I want to charismatically concentrate on creatively communicating a condensed compilation of the critical concepts causing Christ-like convictions and character concerning carnal cash and his kingdom. <laughs> Amen. Do you see? So there's a few, a few things you need to see. Now, when we talk about money, I don't know, people get strange in church. It's like, in church, we over-spiritualize the thing. Have you ever noticed that? Like, the way we think and talk about money in church is very different to what happens tomorrow. And let's just get real about it. We all like the stuff, right? I've got a few famous people who seem to represent the masses, and... Uh, I'll start with a few quotes. Uh, Spike Mulligan, some of you know, he must have been a praying man because he said this, All I pray and ask God for is to give me the chance to prove that money can't make me happy. <laughs> Any of you ever prayed that prayer? God, just give me the chance. <laughs> he could have saved time if he had listened to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Before he was appointed as governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger said this, money doesn't make you happy. Consider my life. I now have access to over 100 million. But I must confess that I was just as happy when I only had 50 million. 
doesn't make you happy. Max Miller said, it doesn't really matter whether you're rich or poor. It really doesn't, as long as you have lots of money. <laughs> now, we'll laugh at oh, those poor people, but I think some of this thinking is not that foreign to us. I think that some of us battle with money, and thinking about it, and needing it, and why we don't have enough. And I think that some churches over-spiritualize this, and we need a reality check. So I'm giving you a reality check right there. I'm not sure if you can cash this one. But, and it might be tiny, medium-sized. I, I don't know. It might be a serious reality check. But today is a reality check about how you think about checks. No one uses checks anymore. But this, for those who remember, for those of you who, like me, are being bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. You know, most of us probably have some ungodly ways of thinking about money. Would you agree? And many of us probably have handled our money in a way that we were hoping God wasn't watching at the time. But we can't make this church thinks this way, and yet I think differently out there. We all need it. Okay, let's get over it. We all need it. You cannot live this side of heaven without it. Do you acknowledge that? And in the world we now live, it seems that money drives virtually everything. In fact, it's the one thing that psychologists say people think about more than any other thing in our current Western world. It occupies the majority of people's thinking. Truth is that many of the critical decisions you make, will make today, tomorrow, are going to be having a monetary component. Would you agree? And so it's not unspiritual for us to acknowledge these things. For some reason, I don't know, church people and some people I know who grew up in churches where they were taught that, you know, poverty is a virtue. I don't see that in the Bible. Uh, also, where they believe we shouldn't talk about money for some strange reason. When everyone's thinking about it all the time, shouldn't the church be talking about it more? Would you agree and help you to think about it properly if we're going to be relevant? And so it's not unspiritual for us to acknowledge these things, talk about these things. The church should actually be the loudest voice on how God views money and how you should use it. Would you agree? Now, I don't know. You, many of you grew up from different churches, different teachings. I have ministered to so many people who've been hurt by unbiblical teachings on money. I believe that many churches... Personally, some of the and TV stations teach extreme things about money that I don't see in Scripture. And I think the fruit of a lot of these extreme teachings is either confusion or disappointment. We had a church in Namibia where a lot of people came into our church afterwards just having been bankrupted by a teaching on giving everything to the church. And the pastor was incredibly wealthy. So he had all these testimonies of, I trusted God, I gave, and I became so wealthy because all of you are giving to me. So that's why it works, because the pastor's rich, so I'm going to give to the pastor so that I can be like that, but he just gets richer. This isn't a get-rich scheme. I don't know, some churches have taught this giving stuff as a get-rich stream, but it's become so overemphasized that I think... It's become an off-putting message in some churches. And so, some of you, when I say I'm going to talk about money, you get a little uncomfortable. Anyone here? Just the big toe. No show of hands. Listen, 
there are a lot of churches now because of that that try to ignore the topic. Jesus didn't. In fact, Howard Dayton did this research. 16 out of 38 parables concern money that Jesus taught. In the Gospels, 1 out of 10 verses deal with money. In the Bible, 500 verses on prayer are dealing with money and monetary issues. 500 verses on faith concerning money. And over 2,000 verses that just concern money and possessions. I'd say the Bible has a lot to say about money. Say? And, you know, I, I've heard, have you ever heard Christians or churches say, money is the root of all evil? That stuff will kill you. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? I mean, oh, well, God, I can't pay my bills because I had to throw all my money away because it's the root of all evil. I can't have any money. That is just stupidity. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root, and it doesn't say all evil. It says all types of evil because money is not the root of all evil, I can assure you. But it says the love of money can cause all kinds of evil things. I want you to know something. God wants you to have it because you need it. And because He's a good God and a good Father, and a good Father provides for His children. God wants you to have it. He wants His church to have money. It is not a good testimony to the world when the church is battling and struggling and costly. Oh, we need more money. We should be thriving. We should have more than enough because we're the ones that are establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. We are probably doing the most vital work on this earth in terms of eternity. We should have the resources to do it. You should have the resources to look after your children, to have a good home, to have a good car. He doesn't mind us having money. He just doesn't want you to love it, put your faith and trust in it so that it has you. Just nod your heads with a deep spiritual, hmm, thank you. And this is a challenge in a world that worships money. Now, when the church does start to talk about money, so many people get uncomfortable. I used to. I used, oh, no, one of these money things again. I, Bill Johnson says this, if you find yourself despising messages on finances and tithes in church, you may have an idolatrous relationship with money. And I quote Bill because I didn't want to say it. <laughs> Bill said it. Friends, listen, when it comes to teaching on finances, we have taught many messages. I have. You can go and listen to many podcasts. So I want to do something different today. I don't want to just rehash same old, same old. Is that okay with you? I want to talk about some mindsets. And a key scripture, if you can look with me, have a look in Luke. Luke 16. And you, if you don't want to look in your Bible, you can look up there with me. I put it there for you. All right, everyone there. Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling what? Worldly wealth. Who will trust you with? True riches. So Jesus is saying there are two things we're talking about here. The one is worldly wealth. You say worldly wealth. The other is true riches. get this straight, when Jesus says true riches, he's not talking about money. So he says, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he wraps up with this great comment, you cannot serve both God and money. Now notice when he talks about worldly wealth, there's no capital letters there. But when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, that money's got a capital letter. Does anyone know why? Good, I'm glad that I can teach you something today. Because that is not just the word for money, that is the word mammon, which was the Chaldean god of riches, and a god that was worshipped in those days that would make you prosperous and wealthy. And what Jesus was saying is, listen guys, there's two gods. There's a god of earthly riches, and there's a god of eternal heavenly riches. One is evil, and the other is good. They both despise each other. You cannot serve both. Here's the unfortunate thing. Too many Christians are trying to serve both. So God, I serve you. I love you. Provide for me. But just in case you don't, I've got my own dealings going on on the side here. So I prayed for someone the other day. They said, well, you know, I need healing. I went to the Sangoma last week. I'd like you to pray for me. Well, which God do you want to pray to and for and receive from? You can't have both. And when you decide which one, then give your all to him. Hopefully that's not mammon. Here's something that Jesus points out to us that is very critical. How you handle worldly wealth determines whether you can handle true spiritual riches. A lot of Christians think that what I do with worldly stuff is none of God's business because that's the world. That's how the world operates. And then God's business is church Worship, the kind of music I play in my car, whether I read my Bible or not, connect group, that's God's stuff and the world's stuff. And so we get this mindset that there's a separation. But there is actually an incredible link between everything earthly and everything spiritual. Everything you do on earth, everything you do with physical things is going to have a spiritual reaction and consequence. So I want to look at a couple of links today. And the first one I want to look at is the fact that your wallet is linked to your worship. Just say, wow. I didn't, you know, can say it backwards. Wow. You know, um, when Jesus talks about mammon, when we talk about worship, how do you worship a God? You give time, you sacrifice for that God, you devoted, you trust, you put your trust in them, you derive comfort from them. So let me ask you this. Which do you derive that from, money or God, your Father in heaven? I have spent a lot of my Christian life on this side. Just saying. As a pastor, I have struggled at times with the whole issue of money, and there are times that I've made decisions that mean I'll have more money even if it was an ungodly decision. I know none of you have ever done that. But there is, because there's a need and because very often we are unwise with how we've spent it and it has consequences, we then chase after it and we start to develop wrong ways of thinking about wealth without realizing that God sees wealth as a vitally important, critical tool to test your hearts with what He can entrust you with. So, everything we do with what is physical and not eternal is going to have eternal consequences. How many of you know Newton's law of motion? Coming from a scientific family and 
every now and then I have to use my science degree and my son's doing his PhD in physics. I mean, we have to honor those who... Newton's law of motion, otherwise known as Newton's third law. How many scientists in our midst? Even those who aren't, you can probably say this one. Every action is an equal and opposite reaction. Hey, you didn't even know there was Newton's law, right? Did you? It's like, ah, how do I have Newton's law? So that's Newton's law. Now, I, I, God just seemed to drop this in me that instead of Newton's law, there is a New Testament's law of motivation. And it goes like this. For every earthly physical action, there is an equal and reciprocal spiritual reaction. While I was doing some reading on this, I, I loved something I read. I wrote it down and forgot to write who said it, but it's good. And he says this. When we look at Luke... When Jesus says that if you can be trusted with much more, he doesn't mean much more money. This is not a sowing and reaping message, even though there are many of those and they are heavenly principles. This one is focused on another biblical principle, that when we give what is valuable in this world, yet least in his, we get back what is valuable in his world. Amen? When we give what is valuable in this world, Yet least in his, we get back what is most valued in his world. Which would you rather have? So when we sow something that is natural, he responds with something that is spiritual. Therefore, if we're not faithful in how we handle worldly wealth, then we don't have the character to handle the really valuable things of the kingdom, those things which are valuable to God. Now, I, I think that too many Christians don't understand the reality of eternity because we can't see it. Would you acknowledge it's hard to have a conversation with a God that you have to learn how to relate to an unseen, can't hear with my physical ears. I have to learn how to hear him in my spirit, see him in my spirit. That is hard. It's hard to think of earthly riches when the ones I can touch and are tangible and can buy me a good strong cup of coffee this morning just seem more realistic, right? And so what I end up doing is I say, well, God, you know, you're interested in the spiritual things. That's the world's things. And we divide the sacred and the secular. I taught a message ah, many years back about destroying the destructive deception of dualism. So before I knew how to make more Ds, <laughs> it was just like... <laughs> dumbstruck by the time I got through five. But here's the thinking that is in the world, and we try to break this in a lot of our messages, is that there is a spiritual component of my life, there is a secular component of my life, and the two don't need to relate to each other. So when you go to work tomorrow, you don't take God with you. You don't include God in the decisions you're making because, God, I'm sorry, this is not spiritual stuff, this is worldly stuff you don't understand. This is engineering. Did you study engineering? Oh, you created it. You see, everything's spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Work, wallet, most of you are not in full-time ministry. Most of you are not up here preaching from the mic. Most of you are going to work tomorrow. Some of you are going, please, Lord, give me a job, and we release that. Those of you that aren't going to study, but most of you are going to go to work. And when you go to work, that should be just as spiritual as your time that you spent in church. We can't separate the two. It's, it's like material and money, possessions, we've got to understand that they're extremely important to God and they're extremely spiritual. 
Money is very, very spiritual. How's that for a thought? Just say that with me. Money is very spiritual. When we talk about discipleship, you can't disciple someone into loving Jesus, understanding the Lordship of Jesus without teaching them that your money has to come under the Lordship of Jesus too. I quote Bill Johnson, I'll tell you why, because I've read a lot of his books and I've heard his teachings. I know the man and I've seen the example of his life and he lives this stuff. But he says something that, that hit me at the last conference. He said, true riches don't come by throwing money around but by honoring God with whatever He puts in my hands. It may have been unrighteous mammon before it got into my hands, but now it becomes a weapon to further His kingdom. Yeah. That just sounds exciting. So when people say, you know, money is evil, it, money is neither evil nor good. It is a resource. You can use it for evil or good. We should have more of it because we know how to use it. Just say amen. Yes. It's like, can I say yes to that? This is church. I can have a thought. Catholic teaching on, you know, the people who make a vow of poverty. That is not God. And so we get to the second link, and this is a vital link, is that my earthly riches are linked to eternal rewards. Now, we read and had a look at Luke. Now, there are four Gospels, and each of the four writers are writing about the same things. And Matthew writes the exact same story, and... He says a couple of things that Luke didn't. So I'm going to ha have a look at what Matthew says. Same teaching. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now notice what Jesus says. He does not say, Do not have treasures on earth. He says, Don't hoard the stuff. We should be channels of it. We should be like a river flowing, releasing it into the kingdom. And you've got to have it to do that. But he says, don't hoard it and store it up like that's where your security is. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Moths have never eaten my money. But in those days, it was obviously a problem. My money's never rusted either. But I think you get the picture. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Oh, we get that one, don't we? And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you catching the message here? So where's your heart? I have to catch myself a lot of the time realizing that I'm thinking more about how to make money than I'm thinking how to serve God. And we have to catch ourselves thinking like that and go, no, God, how can I serve you better? How can I build a kingdom with what you've given me? How can I trust you more than my bank balance? We've got to change the way we think because you bombarded every single day with the world's way of thinking. And he says the same thing. So no one can serve both God and money. And ends with this wonderful verse. You, what's your responsibility? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be given to you as well. A lot of people have taught that to like, so if you give all your money to the church, Jesus is going to make you rich. No, if you give all your money to the church, you don't have any left to pay your bills, and that's stupid. And I am the church. Well, you know what I mean. Give all your money to the church, I benefit. God doesn't want you to give all your money. He wants you to be just as responsible with what you meant to give to Him and the church and the kingdom, and what He wants you to steward. 
he says in Proverbs, a good parent will leave an inheritance for his children and his children's children. You don't do that by giving all your money away. There are only a couple of times where Jesus said, give all that you have. And that's when all that they had was their idol. So, a rich young ruler. Uh, I don't know what a rich young ruler looks like. I have a ruler on my desk. It doesn't look rich or <laughs> young, but... He comes to Jesus... Jesus! And he's got this entourage. He's a ruler, you know. <laughs> Cavalry comes in, his guards, you know, big dust cloud, everything. And everyone's looking at him, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Because they wanted eternal life. They knew there was life after death. And he wanted to make sure that I am going to go to heaven. Jesus looks at him and says, well, you know the commandments. He rattles off a few of the commandments. The man with a big smile on his face says, All of these I have done since I was a youth. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. See you in heaven. And Jesus said, Hang on a second, there's just one thing that you lack. Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, then come follow me. And it says, With that, the man went away sad because he was extremely wealthy. And you know, Jesus wasn't judging him. It doesn't say Jesus went, you bad man. In fact, it tells us that Jesus' heart broke for this man. When you read it in the Greek. His heart broke for the man. And he turns to his disciples and he says, how difficult it is for the wealthy to inherit the kingdom. Just let that sink in for a bit. And then he says, everyone heard this one. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. Any of you wealthy people here now? Leave. No. <laughs> he's not against us having wealth, but this man, obviously, his wealth had him and he wasn't prepared to sacrifice it. And when Jesus said it's harder for a camel to enter the eye of the needle. Any of you heard this teaching? The eye of the needle was a special gate in the wall of Jerusalem where camels had to offload and go. It's absolute nonsense. It's a heresy that was started 1500s. It's not true. There never was a gate in the wall. And in fact, the word in the Greek when we've had more recent literature found that is older... It actually says it's more difficult to get a cable, not a camel, through the ivory needle. So, how's that for a little bit of, listen, I've got to use my theology degree somehow. <laughs> so, Jesus actually says it's more difficult to get a thick cable through the eye of a needle, a real needle. No gate, no camel. Camels don't move crawling on their feet anyway. So, just get that out of your mind. That is a heresy. It's not true. The disciples look at him and say... Who then can be saved? She looks at them, well, you guys obviously consider money more valuable in the kingdom because they like, we want to be wealthy too. Can't we have wealth and, and kingdom? Can we have both? Jesus, please, Jesus, please, we have a wealth and kingdom both. And Jesus says, well, with man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God can give you the grace to have both wealth and a heart for the kingdom that wealth doesn't have you. In fact, Paul, when he writes 2 Corinthians 8, 
9 is talking to the people who were giving and he said, above all, ask God to give you the grace for giving. In other words, we need God to give us a grace to do what is naturally impossible in our lives. Would you, would you agree? So, now the unfortunate thing about this is that there's no heavenly ATMs where you can go check your heavenly bank balance. So I'm like, um, have I put enough away there so I can add a little more here? It, it's, it's unseen, it's eternal, and you won't necessarily see the reward this side of heaven. And that's where a lot of disappointment has come for people. Jesus, I've been tithing, I've given all that, why aren't I rich? Friends, why are you giving? The early church gave up everything, and the motivation was not to be wealthy in this world, it was to be wealthy in the next. Mother Teresa grew up in a wealthy, luxurious environment. She gave it up for poverty to go and work in the disgusting streets of dirt and filth, work with the orphans. And when she was asked, she said, I'm richer now than I was then. To say, hmm, it's the right response for that. Paul says, listen, guys, a heart of contentment is more important than hordes of cash. How you get that? H and C, H and C, you got this. So... We must understand, before I move on to the next point, God is not against you having wealth. Amen? It is not God's will for poverty. Poverty is of the enemy. There are people in this church who are in poverty. We get so many requests where people are saying, we just can't even eat this week. So I am going to start, we're going to have big boxes at the back there from next Sunday where you can come and put food in there for our people. Because the Bible says if you don't look after those who are your own first, then you're not following your priorities. So I want us to destroy poverty here first. Because we can't destroy it everywhere. But let's destroy it here with the people we know and love and are a part of. But God actually wants us to be wealthy. He just doesn't want you to focus on it. Our focus, as he says there, is that you put your faith and trust in God and his kingdom. You build godly character in the way you use worldly wealth so that the Lord can trust you with more. And there are two sources of wealth. There are many wealthy people I have seen who've done incredibly shady things and then give God the glory for all the money they got. Do you know people like that? God, thank you. Thank you. When someone wins the lottery, how many of them go, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And yet most people who've won the lottery are depressed, lost it all, went crazy. You can look it up on YouTube. Just being wealthy doesn't mean it's God's blessing. Proverbs says a very interesting thing. It says here, listen, the Lord can make you rich, but with no sorrow added to those riches. Because the crown of the wise is their riches from God. In other words, if you are wise with your money, follow biblical principles, you'll become rich the way God wants you to become rich, and there'll be no sorrow attached. There'll be no going to jail attached. But if you try to become rich the world's way, and you don't follow God's principles, and you don't honor and obey Him in the way He's told you to work with your finances, then you're going to have a whole lot of sorrow attached to the wealth that you build up in that way. And you can quote me on that because I just quoted the Bible on it. Can you all say amen? Hey, is this helping? Is this giving you some things to think about? Now, it's not just about building up stuff here on earth. So my last point is how on earth then do we invest in eternal treasures? How do we do this? How do we get this right? Well, we must understand obedient giving is the biblical link to supernatural prosperous living. Because the only way that I can invest in the next world 
is to give money to things that relate to that next world. Now, there are three critical principles in terms of prosperous living. Prosperous doesn't just mean a lot of money. When the Bible talks about prosperous, it's the word for prosperity in all areas. Like John says, I pray you may prosper that your soul prospers in every way. It is health, it is wisdom, it's shalom, it's all of those things that God wants you to have. But there are three important aspects. And the Bible talks about two areas that we need to give. I'm going to wrap up with this. We talk about it often. We teach it in Discover Every Nation. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. And everyone said, phew. I'm actually going to leave a handout at the back on tithing, understanding the tithe. So if you want to take one of those, you may. It's what we hand out in Discover Every Nation. But the Bible shows us three areas that we have to be faithful and hear the Spirit and be led by Him. The one is the tithe. The other is in giving finances outside my world, my benefit, to other people and other projects that need it. But there's a third one that too many people don't teach on. What do you do with the rest? If you don't handle the rest wisely and you go, God, I'm giving, I've sown, I've tithed, I've poured my offerings, why am I in debt? Well, you shouldn't have bought the Porsche. Seriously, you should have gone for the Lamborghini. I mean, man, are you with me? <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying? So they, we get so unwise because we see the ad and we got to buy it. If we have debt mentality and credit mentality, then no matter how much you give to the church or do godly things, you're going to have financial problems. Got to have all three. So quickly, the Bible talks about these two. I'm going to look at, uh, I'm just going to talk about the two aspects of giving. The one is the tithes. Let's look quickly at just three aspects. Malachi, the most famous verse on it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It's not that you're going to have more money than you know what to do with. It's that you're going to have more money than your need can handle. First thing we must see about the tithe... Scripture says a lot about it. I'm just going to wrap it up in three quick summaries. It is holy to God, it's not yours. Just think about that for a second. It's not your money. I'll quote Leviticus, where it says, A tithe of everything, no matter what it is, whether it comes from the land, the grain, the soil, the fruit, the trees, it all belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. They would holy mean sanctified and set apart for God only. Now, there are many examples of this where the tithe was given only to a God or God himself. Paul Johnson says this. I think it's quite funny, so I'm going to read it. Is that okay? You cannot take what God has already designated for his purposes and redirect it like Leviticus says. The bottom line is that 10% of everything I get is not mine. I cannot be faithful with another man's riches who will give me riches of my own. That means if I'm not faithful with God's 10%, how can he give me money of my own? That's his money. Some like to take their tithe and use it as they wish to bless others because, God, it's a tithe. I'll use it for you. But this gives a false sense of generosity. It's like going into a restaurant, seeing a man sitting there eating a prime steak. Really good. But there's a poor man sitting outside the restaurant begging. So you go, hmm. I'm going to just steal that man's steak while he's in the bathroom, and I'm going to go give it to the poor guy. There you go. God bless you. Is he blessed? He sure is. 
but it wasn't mine to give to that man. The tithe is God's. And some people say, well, the tithe is just part of the Lord, passed away. No, the tithe is an act of worship. The first mention of tithe is Abraham worshiping Jesus by giving him the tithe. It's an act of worship, not law. In fact, it's interesting that tithing was an ancient institution practiced long before Abraham was born. Tithing records are found in Egypt. They're found in Greek literature before the Trojan War. They're found in early Roman records. How many cultures we have records of that would give a tenth of everything they had in worship to their God? So when Abraham saw Jesus, he said, this is my God, here's a tenth. It was an act of worship. If you're my God, I'm going to give you a tenth. That's how they thought. That's how we should think. The first tenth. So Carol and I, no matter what we get, if someone gives me ten rand, I give the first one to the church. Why? Why do I give it to the church? Because the Bible says it must go into the storehouse where you are fed. That is your local church. Where are you fed? And another point to consider is that when the place of worship was instituted, that's when God said, now I want the tithe to go to the Levites, the full-time workers. The tithe is to provide for them. Do we still have full-time workers in the church? The only way we can pay salaries in this church is if you tithe. That's just reality. That's not spiritual. Tithe and you'll get rich. No, tithe and you'll get fed. Can I say that again? Don't tithe so you can get rich. Tithe so you can be fed. Because if the church has enough, we can employ more. You can get more pastoral ministry. We can reach out more. We can expand more. We can have a greater building. We can do more. Tithe to your church, to the Levites who serve you. Listen, how many of you go and have a beautiful meal at Steers and then walk across the road to KFC to pay for the bill there? So many people do that. No, you tithe where you're fed. If you're a visitor here today, don't give your tithe to this church. Give it to the church where you are fed. Amen? So that's where your tithe goes. 10% goes to your church where you are fed. That's... But above and beyond that, the Bible talks about numerous offerings. And so there's this thing called offerings that is always above and beyond the tithe. That's described throughout Scripture as sowing of seed. The tithe is not seed. Tithe is not seed. There's a lot of Scriptures on seed, but the one that... I want to give you quickly is Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he said, now listen, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he's going to supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness. Notice he doesn't say he will enlarge all your bread. He gives you more seed when you're faithful with sowing it. You seed what I mean. So he says, so you then, if you do this, will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, it results in thanksgiving to God. Paul went to the churches, and he's talking about taking up an offering for the Jerusalem church from the Asian churches. This is above and beyond what you give to your local church. I am taking an offering, and what you give this money to is seed. And when he talks about seed, he says, now when it comes to seed, no man must give under compulsion. He must give as he decides in his own heart. Here's the difference between tithe and seed. Tithe belongs to the Lord. I have no choice, it says, I give the 10%. Seed, it's all mine to choose. I can decide how much I sow and where I sow. And the more I sow, the more I will reap. So if we're going to talk about sowing and reaping, we're talking about offerings. Offerings can be blessing other people in need, 
giving to the guy at the robot, that's an offering. I make sure that our cars are always full with 10 rand notes and 5 rand coins so we can be generous to people when they need it at the, at the robots. 5 rand doesn't do it anymore. It's all 10 rand notes now, which is easier actually. They fit in the car better. <laughs> I have so many testimonies of how honoring God and obedience in giving of tithes, being generous, sacrificial giving to others, how he's provided for us. I have testimonies where we've been in debt and God said, give your way out of debt. And we've done that. And he's come through for us. And I'm going to close with a testimony from a man that I love and trust, Bill Hybels. Some of you know him. Do you mind if I ask Bill Hybels to come up and share his testimony in closing? It's three minutes and 50 seconds. And this was the first supernatural engagement I had ever had with regard to generosity. So I decided on the side of the highway that night, I said, you know what? I want to be a more generous man. If this is how it works, if God's got my back, if he's going to notice and get involved supernaturally, I want to go on a faith journey and see how far I can take this. And that day I decided, you know, I'm going to figure out what the church says about tithing and giving what the Bible says, and uh, I'm going to get on board that program. And since that night on the side of the road, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, I made a commitment. Every time I've received earnings of any kind, I've taken the first part of it and returned it to God. And uh, he has stayed supernaturally involved in, uh, with regard to my resources and so. And I've, been, I've got a lot of stories to tell. It's been pretty exciting, really. Now, I don't know if you've come to the, that decision yet in your life with regard to your own generosity. But when I talk to, the, to my church about this, I talk about two guys. And I, I know I'm being sexist here a little bit, but... Uh, I'd like to talk about Fred and Ted. They attend the same church, they hear the same teaching, they read the same Bible, they pray to the same God. And when it comes to giving, Fred has this conversation with God one day. He goes, hey God, just between you and me, we're not, you know, this between us. I have to get from A to B financially throughout the course of my life. I've got responsibilities. I've got to pay off the, the cars. I've got to pay off the mortgage. I've got to set aside money for kids' college. I've got to set aside money for retirement. I've got all these requirements. And God, it's hard math. There are numbers here. I mean, you can put a fine edge to this. And it's got to work out. And God, I know what you say about tithing and giving and all that, but I have done the numbers. It's going to take 100% of my earnings for me to ever get from A to B. So, sorry, I'm out. Okay. Now, uh, Ted, here's, again, sits in the same church, here's all the same teaching. Here's how his conversation with God goes. He goes, hey, God, you know, I have to get from A to B, and I've got to do all the same things Fred's got to do. I've got to do all those same things, and I know the math. I've run the numbers. But I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to believe that because I honor and obey you, that you're going to take me from A to B on 90% of my earnings, because I'm going to take the first 10 as a step of faith and honor you with it every single time I receive earnings. And then God whispers to Ted, hey, Ted, if you will trust me to take you from A to B on 90% because you're going to honor me with the tithe, here's what I'm going to do. Hey, Ted, I'm going to take you to a place called C, this favored, supernaturally blessed condition where I open doors for you and provide for you in ways 
Humanly speaking, no one would ever really believe. But that's my commitment to you. If you have the faith that I can take you to A to B on 90%, I'm going to take you to C, and you'll tell stories to your kids and your grandkids, and they'll be true and they'll be cool. So both these guys make their own commitment. That's the conversation they have with God. Now, here's the kind of the interesting thing about Fred and Ted. They both think the other is an idiot. <laughs> they really do. You know, oh, Fred, he goes, Ted, you idiot. So you believe God's word about this stuff, and you believe what the pastor said, so you drank the whole jug of Kool-Aid, huh? You're never going to get to be on 90%. Come on, run the numbers, dude. It's not going to work. And this C thing, come on. Imagination, fantasy, it's not going to happen. So Fred just thinks Ted is an idiot. Ted looks at Fred, and he goes, oh, Fred, I feel sorry for you. I just feel sorry for you. Uh, you're going to try to do all of this on your own. You're never going to invite God to be a part of the equation. You're not going to demonstrate any faith. And the worst part of it all, Fred, is you're never going to experience C. This is never going to happen for you. So, sorry, Fred, I think you're the idiot. Okay? So, two different approaches, and each of them thinks the other is an idiot. Here's my question for New Hope today. What kind of idiot do you want to be? Yeah, give him a hand. He can't hear it, but I'll tell him you did. So, friends, I want us to understand that these things are very real. We don't teach finances so the church can get more money. It's not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising children. Learn that your wallet is linked to worship and start to worship God with what he puts in your wallet or your purse. Remember that the way you handle earthly riches will give you eternal rewards if you do it God's way. And that true, prosperous, supernatural, eternal living comes through giving obediently in the two ways I described. Amen? Why don't you stand together? We're going to take all your money. Oh, uh, we're going to pray. So we're going to close in prayer. Father, I pray for every person here. There are many who can't afford to tithe in their thinking who feel like they're struggling and battling. And I am asking, as Paul did, for the grace of giving to come upon us. Father, I pray for the ability to obey despite what the math says. And I'm asking, Lord, that those who take steps of faith, you would do a miracle in their lives, as we have seen so many testimonies. Bring forth hundreds more. I pray that every person here, Father, you would take care of their financial challenges as they choose to trust you where they've made unwise decisions with that which is theirs, would you show them how to make wise decisions and turn that around? And I bless every person here. Those that need jobs, we call forth jobs. Those that need increases, we call forth increases. We call forth promotions, but not just for the sake of it. We call forth kingdom thinking. We call forth kingdom giving. We call forth kingdom faith, kingdom trust. And we decide that we will not worship mammon. We're going to worship you, Jesus, the way you say, even though everything in our flesh fights against it. Bless this church, Lord. We declare that this church will be wealthy and this church will always have more than enough because of what you've called us to do. And as every person goes from this place, when they go to work tomorrow, that is just like church. 
they're going to take Jesus with them. Let there be no separation in anyone's minds between what is secular and what is sacred, that they would know everything they do, everything they touch is sacred and spiritual. And you'd give them the grace to do it. And everyone said, Amen. You don't come to church, you are now leaving the church. The church is now leaving the building. You are the church. Amen. Please don't forget, we've got prophetic ministry afterwards, as Mike announced. If you're a visitor, we'd love to have a coffee and a muffin with you at the back table and get to know you. Any other important announcements, Pastor Mike? Okay. God bless you. Go and think about these things. Pray about them. Take a step of faith and then come and share the testimonies. God bless you.